Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Topical Reflections on Music. Today I'm talking over Zoom with Mexican composer Ana Paula Santijan Alcocer, who has amassed a unique series of international educational experiences. I have invited her to offer us her global perspective on music education. Hello, Paula, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Alexandra. It is an honor to be here sharing all my musical career. Thanks a lot. You hold a licentiate from Trinity College, uh, London. Most of our listeners would not know what a licentiate is. Can you explain to us what the diploma entails and why did you choose to pursue it from Mexico? Well, a licentiate is the equivalent of a bachelor. It is part of the education syllabus offered at the college where I studied in Mexico City. Uh, the name of the school is Centro de Investigación y Estudios de la Música, CIEM. And this is a college affiliated to the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music, the ABRSM in England, and also to the Trinity College London. I studied five years of different subjects such as theory, counterpoint, harmony, music analysis. I was part of even the school choir and even playing on a synthesizer orchestra. I also studied piano, some musicology courses, orchestration, etc. So during the last three years of my studies, I also taught music and piano to children ages four to 13. Uh, I, I, teach, I taught for nearly five years. That was a great experience because Honestly, those teaching years gave me a, a solid foundation to my future teaching. So the way that uh, the way it works at CM was basically that I had to go to the British Council to present during several years different grades of music theory exams by the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music. I basically earned all their certificates in music theory until the last grade they have in theory, which is grade eight. Uh, this is the first requirement they ask at, at CM in order to continue with the composition diplomas. So after earning my grade eight in theory, I earned the associate diploma. It's called the AMUS diploma, and it is the equivalent of the third year bachelor's, and that's from the Trinity College, London. So after passing that exam, I was basically ready to get prepared for the licentiate in music composition. So for my final composition requirement, the process was another year of preparation of several components. I had to submit and send to London a composition portfolio with different ensemble pieces. Once you send it, it takes around three months for faculty in London to revise it and it's a pass or fail mark. And that's the first part of the requirements. Once your portfolio is revised and with a pass mark, then a few months later, you have to present a very long written exam and that, that exam lasts around six hours, divided into two sessions of three hours each, all in the same day. It's really, really tough. Uh, the, con the content of the first part of the exam was to write a short 24 measure piano piece using a 12 tone row, followed by the orchestration of a short 16 measure piano piece. And finally, the last section was the analysis of the short late romantic piece uh, with, well, obviously some specific analysis questions so for the second part exam, you take a break of two hours and then you have the second component of the second part of the exam, which also lasted three hours. 
and it consisted of composing a two and a half minute programmatic piece. They give you the program notes and then you have to write a large ensemble piece uh, for, for a large ensemble. So it's a really long and very, very tough exam, but it was very enjoyable to, to prepare it. And that is basically how you earn a licentiate at SIEM, which still works the same now that I work there. Now, uh, is this uh, system uh, across the world the same? Is it? Yes, I will explain later uh, how it works for sure. Yes. Okay, great. It's worldwide. So it's, it's called the, the ABRSM Examination, uh, International Examination Board. Okay. And it's also for Trinity College Examination Board. Okay. And it's in Montreal for sure. Okay. I'm, sure I'm not sure at Trinity, but ABRSM for sure. It's everywhere. Okay. Now, after, after the licentiate, you completed uh, your master's degree at Rice University in the USA. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering how did the American educational experience compare with your Mexican education? Uh, especially what are some of the most important differences between the Mexican and the US pedagogical approaches when it comes to teaching composition? Um, the main difference was the student teacher ratio. Rice is relatively yeah. small university, but it was huge compared to CM. Uh, CM is a very, very small college. Also, the music resources at Rice have much more variety, and music library was amazing. And the facilities were much bigger at Rice, for sure. In terms of the pedagogical approach in teaching composition, each school was completely different because at CM, I took composition group classes and everybody in class gave opinions and reviews about each other's composition with the teacher. So that interaction, uh, interaction well, really gave me a good critical thinking uh, in music composition. And at Rice, I had one-on-one -on -one lessons and it was also really educational because it complemented my critical thinking in a different level because this interaction involved listening to to the teacher and discuss about my music, particular points and techniques of my music in each lesson. So these lessons were basically all about my music by learning new parameters and getting a different perspective to perceive music. It was really helpful, both of them, from different, different points of view, for sure. Okay. Now, uh, you, you are really a very internationally traveled person. Uh, you have completed most of the requirements for a doctoral degree in composition in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, so from what I counted in your CV, that's a, that's a university experience in a total of four countries. So Great Britain, Mexico, USA, mm -hmm. and Canada. Yes. How did Canada compare with respect to educational opportunities and standards with the other countries? And now I speak as a Canadian. Can we Canadians be proud of what our universities have to offer? Okay, well, uh, my time at McGill as a student opened to me not only a total new perspective, uh, but also a complete, uh, in music, but also a completely different perspective in life, to be honest. As we all know, McGill is a, is a research university and I had very few experiences in research resources. So I learned all about these tools and this naturally opened to me through all the music seminars at McGill, the curiosity to learn and read about topics I had never heard of it before, like how to create an opera or analyzing a piece and, and the structure with just rhythm or orchestrating through a technique called thought orchestration. 
I also took advantage of the electronic music seminars at McGill and the equipment and facilities they have there. So I absolutely love all these experiences and I really, really enjoyed being at the library. It was, it was one of my favorites, to be honest. And everything was so complete. So, and, and, and the good point there is that I really took advantage of everything. I really, really took advantage of everything. I think my years at McGill complemented me with things that I lacked as a composer. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason I cherish all the seven years that I, that I was a student there. Uh, also, it's very important. This is a very important thing to mention that I had a critical health issue right in the middle of my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And I had to return back to Mexico City for an entire year for physiotherapy. And as a result, I lost my living expenses scholarship from the Mexican government. But fortunately, McGill supported me on my way back, thanks to the help of a really, really special person called Eleanor Stubley. Okay. And she was the director of the graduate studies, and which I will always be grateful to her. She helped me a lot. And I actually dedicated my dissertation piece to her because she helped me so much. And it is very unfortunate that she passed away unexpectedly back in 2017. Without that help, I wouldn't have been able to finish my doctorate for sure. Wow. And, and well, to answer your question, nevertheless, I had some rough times during my doctoral studies. studies. I think I couldn't have chosen a better university for my necessities as a composer and as a person. Now that I am a composition teacher, I realize what a complete education I receive in all the three universities. And McGill helped me understood music from very so from different perspective for sure. So I am very grateful that I was a student there for sure. It was it was the one research university you attended. Just the only one, yes. Okay. And, and I learned how to research actually <laughs> through there. Very painful, <laughs> but at the end it was very helpful, and I learned a lot. So so it was a it was a good ending. Let's put it that way. <laughs> So uh, moving on from, from a university experience, um, you have participated in a number of festivals and summer programs around the world, uh, mm -hmm. notably uh, at the Institut de Recherche et Coordination Acoustique uh, Musique in Paris, France, uh, the Brevard Music Center in the USA, the Czech American Summer Music Institute in the Czech Republic, the uh, Internationale Sommer Musik Academy in Germany, the Fontainebleau Conservatoire France, and the Canadian Contemporary Music Workshop in, in Canada. In Toronto, yes. Those are very uh, five very prestigious continuing education programs in five countries on two continents. Mm -hmm. uh, for, uh, for our listeners who are not uh, professional musicians, uh, you have obviously been very involved in the summer program circuit. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to, to learn how do these programs resemble one another and how do they differ from one another? Is there a, a standard uh, quote uh, summer composition program and quote setup that all these programs follow? And uh, with respect to the whole international aspect, uh, were there great cultural differences between the festival communities and how did you navigate them? Yeah, uh, well, I really enjoyed every summer, uh, going every summer to different courses to learn different composition techniques from different teachers. However, uh, what I really enjoyed the most was interacting with 
different composers from around the world. There were usually you know, composers from different parts of the world. And I have been lucky enough to meet people from different parts of the world through this, these summer courses. And it has been really amazing to interact with these people throughout the years through social media or meeting with them in a music festival again, or coinciding in the same concert program sometimes. And I really think as a composer, one of the most important things is to interact with composers from around the world, but also travel to different places to get to know different cultures. I, I think that as composer, I feel it is almost obligatory to have different experience in order to communicate things through your music. And all the courses that I attended have similar approaches Okay. in terms of learning composition techniques. Okay. And most of them have private composition classes or lessons, concerts and seminars in composition, sometimes orchestration. However, every, every course had a very different impact on me, mainly because of the country was taught, the music presented by each composer and the music and compositional approach of every teacher composer, but also the variety of cultural experiences of the different countries that, I, that these courses were held. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned the most, for sure. Because then through, through all this traveling, you can communicate things. Now, what, so, what's the I, average duration of such a composition program? Yeah, I think that would be different for every case. And the most, the longest one that I went was five weeks and a half at Brevard. Okay. Every summer. And I went there three times. Okay. And the one at Earcam was two weeks and a half. And there was the one in Germany was two weeks. Usually it's between two weeks and a half and two, but Brevard was the entire, like most of, uh, yeah, five and a, and a half weeks. It was really long and it was very intense. I learned so much in that course because I was still at school when I took these three years. So every summer I, I debut uh, a compass, uh, orchestration piece, small one, but but I orchestrated my own music and it was it was performed. It was a really good experience in that sense. I grew up so much in that course. I really, probably is the, the one that I cherish the most because it, it took me, uh, it was hard work because it was new for me, but but it was very helpful too. I learned a lot of orchestration in, that, in those courses and composition through the different uh, teachers that I had all these three summers. So every every course had a had a very nice impact for me as a composer. And again, mm -hmm. as a person, for sure. I attended one uh, program as an adult uh, in Tanglewood and it was eight weeks. It was mm. really long, yeah. Two months, well, I don't know but, if that's too much. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I had to get a visa and the whole deal. So, uh, oh, wow. I guess, uh, I guess it's, it's you, you yeah, probably, that, that's uh, the longest, but I heard it's a really good one. So I'm sure you had fun. Yeah, I had a wonderful time. Yeah. So, uh, um, given your vast uh, experience and education, what would your ideal university education in music composition, composition look like? What mm -hmm. would be the mandatory classes and what classes do you believe can safely be omitted? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the mandatory classes would be harmony, tonal counterpoint, piano, history of music, electroacoustic music, uh, a seminar in music copyright for composers. That's really useful. Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually not there, right? I've never taken uh, such a class and I needed it. I yeah. Know. Well, yeah. yeah. 
everybody needs a, a composers because we don't know about that. We tend to, to forget that for some reason or reject it for some while. We just want to create. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to make the paperwork. <laughs> that's, that's something we don't like, right? Uh, you would have maybe orchestration, a seminar to create your own music album. That's very, I had that in my undergrad. We had to create a, a music album, a collective music album. Okay. It was really helpful. We all ended up like fighting with each other, but it was really fun. <laughs> and then we, well, obviously, I think it's very important. From my point of view, we had like composition in popular music because yeah. it's a different perspective from, from contemporary music. Obviously, we would have composition, uh, a composition lessons and jazz singing lessons because I enjoyed that a lot. I took that at McGill for two semesters and it was really yeah. helpful. It was really nice. Um, I actually can't recall a class that was pointless in my career, to be honest. I enjoyed them all and, and some were more important than others for me, obviously, mm -hmm. but they all contributed to my overall musical education to become a better composer. So I, I really don't think there was any kind, but for instance, when I was at McGill, I, I took electronic music that it wasn't mandatory in your, in your doctorate. And I took it because I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to take advantage of that class. And at the end, I took it as a, as a auditor, but I took it as a, as a student mm -hmm. uh, for two semesters in a row. And, and I learned a lot and I used all this equipment and it was so helpful. I still want to learn more though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know about electronic music. I did take it as an undergrad. Uh, and uh, later when I was a graduate student, when I came to McGill, everything that I had learned in my undergraduate uh, was already too old. Uh, I, yeah, had, uh, I, I, had, I had become really proficient in a program called C-Sound. Okay. And <laughs> Which is the first one that then then uh, Max, no? Say it again. It, it was the first, it was uh, for programming, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I got I got good at it and it was all for nothing dear because uh actually I, I was talking <laughs> to a, yeah I was talking to a colleague the other day he had no idea what it is and I I am 39 and I felt really old oh. <laughs> I don't know to what extent those classes in in computer music are immediately useful unless you have access to the technology on your own because once you leave school you, you no longer have access to the school technology. So suddenly you're on your own. You need to buy your own things. You and always buy, get, yeah. Yeah, the, that's the, the thing with all, everything. If you're involved in technology, you need to spend a, a, a fair amount of money all the time to, to buy new things all the time, for sure. Yeah, that's the only thing, but I really think it's helpful because I think uh, when I started studying uh, electronic music, it opened to me a different perspective in music, just like, acoustic music mm -hmm. in terms of spacing sound mm -hmm. so it's like because you can treat the sound in a, in electronic music the same as you as you treat acoustic sound and i i saw i part i particularly saw that that uh that sound it helped it really changed the way i saw music as a general thing to write music to create perspective in in music and to create uh, this, these things that you always uh, study. It makes more sense with, with, with all the orchestration classes you have with, with planes. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And how you create the, the sound and how you put this, maybe a sound that is in the in the middle ground, then you put it on the, the foreground. I teach that. So it, it created a it had a really big impact on me. And I love creating uh, different sounds, like sounds that are not related to any instrument. It also it, it's a very attracting thing for me to have sounds that are not created with a with an instrument or if you're if you're recording a, a sound with a with a acoustic uh, uh, instrument, how do you how do you transform that sound into something different? For me, that's very attractive. As a now, what the, you you have written a lot of uh, electronic music. Uh, what what software do you use? What are you like? I started like you said. There were one that, that it was. I, I don't even remember now the the name. But the way I I study it, it was with a particular sound editing uh, sound editing program. That it was. <laughs> now it's pointless. Nobody uses it. Okay. It, it doesn't exist actually. Wow. So I have to use different ones, and I use different ones. Like it depends on the kind of piece. But I use Audacity, or and I use obviously Logic Pro. That's mm -hmm. where I work the most. I use an editor called Ocean Audio okay. uh, and it depends, right? Like sometimes I use MIDI. I create my own sounds through MIDI. Mm -hmm. I transpose them, I, I record them and then I synthesize them to a different sound. And then I put them together. I can I use a recorder, I do field recording. It depends on the piece for sure. Okay, thank you. And then, I mean, I cannot mention like all the, <laughs> all the ones that had exist before because I don't even remember the names, but the, the thing that you said is true. Like you, you have to keep constantly renewing your, your, your equipment, right? Yeah, the software and the hardware. Yeah. Now, uh, except electronic music, uh, your catalog includes multimedia and visual arts. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's combined with abstract and or narrative components. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering in which country was this approach to interdisciplinary art the best thought and represented? How do you think contemporary curriculums should encourage composers to collaborate with artists from the visual mediums? Well, I think I, I consider myself a, a visual arts enthusiast. So the very first step that I take in order to write a piece of music is to choose a topic that would give me a very clear visual aspect. And afterwards, I start creating this visual aspect around the musical, all these musical parameters. So this process of creating through visual aspect has been through years of living different visual experiences in experimental concerts or contemporary art museums that helped me a lot. Uh, watching videos, maybe some documentaries and all these different parts of the world through I, I have gained all this experience through, through this travel and precisely through all these composition courses that I've been part of. And that helped me part of through, th this, this was created through years, like gradually through the years, like learning things and just watching. And I'm a very visual person. I learn by, by seeing for sure everything. Mm -hmm. And it was through this process that I organically started creating videos with electronic music. I, nobody taught me to, 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 by the way, I don't know if it was like something that it was natural for me to, to create videos through, through software. I, I learned by myself by playing with all these things that I really enjoyed and I create my own images. So in the visual aspect has been gradual and organic and I consider it very necessary for my compositional process. So 
On the other hand, I really don't think it is necessary that all composers should collaborate with artists, with the visual mm -hmm. uh, mediums. Uh, I really believe that the composing process of each composer is different. So in my case, the visual aspect has always been quite essential. You uh, teach composition theory and analysis at uh, the Centro de Investigación y Estudios de la Música mm -hmm. in Mexico City. Yes. Uh, when and how did you start teaching at this institution? And does it compare more to a European conservatory or more to a North American university? This, this school that I'm teaching now is the school that I, that I studied my undergrad. It's the same school. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to start teaching at CM on April 2017, just almost right after I came back from Montreal. Mm -hmm. So the Centro de Investigación y Estudios Musicales is compared to a European conservatory. Uh, this school has been active for the last 50 years, and some of the most well-known composers in Mexico have graduated from that school. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a very tiny school, because it's really like a little tiny school, it's very cute. Um, some of the most prominent composers nowadays studied there, which is great. And well, for the same reason, I feel very honored to be part now of this great institution because I'm teaching there right now. And I'm now in charge of the teaching new generations of composers, which I have been lucky enough to have quite talented ones. Like I had several talented ones and I'm sure they will prove lasting assets for the school, for sure. With a dedicated teacher like you, I don't doubt. Ah, thank you uh, very much. They have, I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I really had a couple of them that they're remarkable. Like I saw the first, the first composition class I had is like, oh, am I going to be able to teach these guys? It's like, it was amazing. And now one of them even got the Fulbright scholarship. Like wow. right away, he's so talented. You, you, you do like, have the Fulbright scholarship, right? I do have the Fulbright yeah. scholarship. Yeah. I didn't tell him to, to apply to that. Like it's a natural thing here, but he got it, which is great. I feel very honored here, feel very happy for him because he's really, really talented. And another, other, like most of the students I had because the ratio is so tiny there. So you have very five students, four students, even three students at times. So you dedicate an entire time with them. It's a, they have four-hour classes every week. So well, I don't have one. I don't have face-to-face -face lessons. It's all group classes. Okay. As the, the same as when I was there as a student. Still the same. Works the same. It's really helpful. And those are for the for the undergraduates. The group classes, huh? There's undergrads, and there are sometimes you have. I have. Well, that's that's part of one of the questions. But yes, yeah. undergrads and masters. Okay. Uh, now the with the three disciplines, it uh, it seems very difficult to separate them into different boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, what what is does your approach individualize with each student or uh, each discipline uh, or what what how do you offer these three disciplines to them? Well, I teach uh, undergraduate mostly. But as I told you, I also teach a few master students. I, as, I, as I told you, the way it works at CM is through the composition portfolio that they send to London. Okay. So basically what I work with both of them, it doesn't matter if it's a master's or a, or a 
composition student, uh, sorry, uh, an undergrad student is through the compositional, through the composition portfolio. So we work individually with their pieces. And uh, well, I, I teach composition lessons to small groups of maximum, maximum five students. And in the class, we analyze different pieces, mainly from the contemporary music repertoire. So for, for instance, if the student needs, uh, is writing a string quartet over the next months, we will be analyzing two or three string quartets in the group and everybody will be writing a string quartet. Okay. So we all have like opinions and we review them. They have, they comment on what they, what they believe it would be make a better quartet in each of the students. I will put my point of view. It's a very collaborate, collaborative uh, mm -hmm. two hour classes. Uh, but also for their final project, they need to give an analysis presentation of a piece with the same instrumentation they are writing. So if they're, they're writing a string quartet, they will look for, for a string quartet that they like. They have to tell me which one beforehand at the beginning of, the, of our, when they start writing and then I'll tell them yes or no. <laughs> and well, uh, they, they present it and it usually they present the whole analysis based on what the, how how I tell them how to analyze the whole thing. Attempt the, the academic calendar, by the way, is divided into four month periods. Okay. So during the year, instead of semesters, we have three four month periods, and one of them is three months. So we only have one month, uh, uh, one month uh, vacation. It's okay. very very tough. It's we don't have vacation mostly only during August. The the, the full years. Full of classes. On the other hand, I teach music theory, which is separated from, from the analysis and composition uh, courses or classes. And those are different lessons using the system of the Associated Board of the Real Schools of Music, the ABRSM. Mm -hmm. They have books and they have everything related to theory in order to present their exams. That's why I had to when I was a student, I, I, I went to the British Council. They have books and, and then you you learn it through maybe the books, but it's better if you have a, a obviously a guide in the teaching, in your teaching. And well, um, the examinations are held twice a year here in Mexico. And usually the, the music papers, the music theory papers are sent from London, just maybe two weeks before, maybe 10 days before the, the, the date. There's always, it's always the same dates, March and November. Mm -hmm. And they send the papers and then you present it on a Saturday and then you return them. Well, the ones who's now I'm in charge of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you send them back and I'll, I'll explain how that works later. But with the pandemic situation, they are implementing an online examinations of instrument and, and theory exams, which is very, that's, I'm training, actually I'm training right now for this system through, usually you go to London to learn all this, but with okay. this pandemic, it was all over. So it's all over webinars right now. It's, I have a lot of work. Okay. Right now it's what I need to do, like watch a video to, to all this, to this new implemented system, which is super so intense. Your, <laughs> so your, your role as a representative of, uh, of yep. the British Associated Board of the Royal Schools, uh, your, your role is uh, exactly to coordinate uh, all these exams and the pedagogical approach. Uh, does, does it influence your ideas and opinions on music education and would you, would you recommend it to, to people who don't know? Uh, would you recommend this system? 
Yes, for sure. This is a very, very nice job that I have. That's the very first job that I got when I came back to Mexico. As I told you, I started teaching in April, but this, this ABRSM thing, I started like two months before. It's mm -hmm. super hard work, but it's a really nice work and I really enjoy it. Uh, the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music is an examination board and a registered charity. So that means that it's a non-lucrative organization and it's based in London, England. And this organization provides examinations in music at uh, music centers around the world. It's around every, every place, seriously. Mm -hmm. And it is a quite prestigious organization. And when I was a student, as I told you, I presented several theory exams and I went all the way to grade eight. So I know the system really, really well. And I'm in total charge of the administrative work the registration of each interested candidate from different music schools and universities. So any person can register, anyone. And okay. as long as they prepare, and the, the more the better, <laughs> let's put it that way. And I am also in charge of organizing and applying all the exams at different centers around Mexico City by sending the papers. And I'll tell you later about the practical exams, the instruments. And well, there's different dates, as I told you, March and, and November. And there's two types of exams, the theory and the practical exams. Mm -hmm. The practical exams are the ones for, for instruments and both have different exam dates during the year. And the practical exams, the instrument exams are only held once a year in Mexico. And, and I organized everything in order for an examiner to visit Mexico from London to apply these exams for all the instruments in an orchestra. So I organized their air flights, the hotel, the accommodation, the expenses, the transportation. And I spent a lot of time with the examiner and during the examination. So the examiners uh, from London arrive to Mexico and they stay here for three weeks and they apply exams nonstop, like everywhere. So, so the examiner basically grades uh, each musician by their performance of the ABRSM syllabus pieces, according to that, to what grade are they doing. Okay. They have books for that. The ABRSM, they have a music library. Uh, you buy books there and it's the biggest uh, music uh, library where you can buy books because it's, it's connect, they have their own books, but also connected with other different uh, music publishers, most of them. So it's the largest um, music store in the world and they sell a lot. Wow. So it's a very nice organization. And basically, well, what they do is they mark uh, this, this syllabus pieces. They're usually three pieces that they need to perform. If, because there's all the way from grade one to grade eight, then they have, that's called the certificates. Then after grade eight, they have the diplomas, which is more professional. Okay. And there's one AR, ARSM, it's called the ARSM exam, which is equivalent to the first year of, of their undergrad. Mm -hmm. So the pieces are, are obviously, it, they become harder and harder. Yeah. And they have all the way to the licentiate, the bachelor's and also master's. So okay. it's a very high, high, and they have the diploma and it's valid all around the world. Okay. And they have very prestigious diplomas. And well, they basically grade that and they, they grade the technical aspect of each grade. And that means scales and arpeggios. They, they have different scales and arpeggios that you need to perform with, well, all the, all the technical requirements they ask. 
They also, you have a sight reading uh, component in the exam. And finally, the oral skills, they play something and they ask questions about the, the or they need, they, you, you need to sing something. And there's several components during the oral mm -hmm. skills. So it depends on what grade and the, the, the bigger the grade, the, the hardest it becomes. Of course. So once the exams are done, I also organize everything, doing all the paperwork and send them back to London in order to be marked. I'm talking now about the theory. Yeah. And I am in charge of notifying every candidate if they pass their exams or not. I'm handling the registration. I'm handling the certificates and diplomas of the candidates who pass their exams. And lastly, I'm in charge of all the communications between the candidates and the board in London, all the questions, all the doubts. Basically, I need to arrange any problem that arises of any kind. And now, uh, <laughs> how many, how many people per, uh, per session are you Thank handling? Thank God, God is not that many as, as I, because I, I, every two years you have, you need to, to concentrate with all, all around the world, people from around the world. It's really nice. I went to one in, in the United States two years ago, and it was amazing because you meet all the representatives from the different parts of the world. And my, Mexico is only around 400 maybe people, okay. which is a lot. I mean, it's only me that I do all the job, just okay. me, nobody else. Wow. And thank God it's only 400 because in Hong Kong, you wouldn't imagine. I was like my my jaw like <laughs> there's more than six hundred thousand candidates. And wow. then, then you can tell like how how serious people take music there because they spend basically like eighty percent of the examiners. They have it's a huge organization. That's when I realized that ABRSM is a huge organization because they have thousands of examiners living in, in, in Hong Kong all year long because they're doing exams all year long. Wow. There's six, more than 600,000. And here I, I can do everything myself. I'm always busy. I'm always working from Monday to, to Sunday, but I really enjoy this, this, this work for sure. The hardest work is when the examiner comes here because you need to go pick him up. You need to go to school and then you go to the other school and it's insane. And then I have, I also teach private lessons of theory and piano for beginners and things like that. So sometimes I have to cancel some, some lessons in order to be able to communicate. It's a lot of work. I'm always working all the time, all the time, all the time, but I'm not complaining. Seriously, I, I really enjoy it. It's a really nice job. It's and at the same time that, you teach. I never had that experience of the administrative work because every year in December, you need to give an entire uh, Excel with specific things that you need to, and it's all divided. They send you the 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 form, the yeah. the the whole yep. thing in 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 Excel, and it's basically not doing anything but that for four days in a row for sure. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's nice. I like it. And it's part of the university, so it's connected to the students. And I, and I also teach them. I mm -hmm. teach some of the students that want to prepare for those exams, and also privately, I have my own students that come because they they know that I teach that. So and I represent that, mm -hmm. so they know that I will do a good job because I know how exams works, and I have all the material, and I have exams. Mm -hmm. So I, I prepare them really, really well. Most of my students, never, none of them have got. Less than nine, but ninety. Like wow. it, this thing, distinction. Most of them, like all of them, none, 
none of my students had lower than that because I, I know how what what they need and if they have something else I have like I create my own uh, uh, exercises particularly to that student so yeah I really like this job well this uh, this remark uh, really uh, leads me well into the, my next question mm -hmm. Uh, I, I ask you now to, to go back to you, uh, not necessarily to, through the organization, but could you summarize mm -hmm. for us uh, your pedagogical philosophy? Um, after all, we wish to inspire other composition teachers to draw from the best resources, uh, regardless of origin. Mm -hmm. And where do you, uh, in particular, draw teaching inspiration from? And mm -hmm. how do you synthesize and individualize your teaching philosophy? In, uh, in your applied teaching lessons? Yes, I wanted to clarify first, as, I'm, as a composition teacher, I have, I mean, my job is to create this portfolio that then later they sent to, to London, but not to the ABRSM, not to the Associated Board of the Royal Schools. Mm -hmm. It's for, for the a university called University of West London, mm -hmm. because for the ABRSM, the, the, the maximum grade in theory is grade eight, and then after that, you have the, the AMUS and mm -hmm. then the AMUS, the licentiate. Mm -hmm. So what I always do and say to, the, to my students is that they don't have to focus all their attention in the, in the portfolio because that happens a lot at my college at CM. Mm -hmm. They want to create the portfolio so they can have that, that diploma. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I say, it's like, you shouldn't be thinking this way. You should be thinking like, what do I want to write? And what do I crave, what do I really want to write? And then write as much music as you can and then draw your best compositions for your composition uh, portfolio, not the other way, way around, which is usually what happens. It's like, what's next? What, what kind of piece do I need after this? You know? Okay, yeah. And that doesn't create a good composer in my opinion. And I say like, what you need to do is write a lot of music and, and then just look what, what pieces do you have the best and then do a, a really good composition. And, and well, that's why I wanted to, to say that because my compositional approach is based basically, the way I organize my teaching is by focusing and analyzing, well, all the, all the most important different parameters in music, uh, in a music piece. This means form, structure, music world, and how this is going to create harmony all throughout the form and structure, uh, instrumentation, and the use of different textures. Uh, I focus on that, like rhythm, melody, if the, piece is, if the piece uses melody, some of the pieces doesn't use melody, don't use. Motifs, musical gestures, working on non-exact repetition, dynamics, uh, logical use of articulations that correspond to the musical structure, and well, obviously the idiomatic use of the instruments. And also I emphasize controlling or keeping in mind the different planes in music, what I was telling you, the foreground, the middle ground and the background and, and how these planes can change roles throughout the piece. So uh, I also spend a fair amount of time talking about the economy of means in each of the students' pieces. This is one of the most important things for me to do. Like whatever they write, uh, they need to, to have us less material uh, use and more material reused in, in each piece. So that's the most important things. And I emphasize that all the time. So I, I in my case, I also explained that it is much easier to have, in my case, that's how it works, 
it is much easier to have a certain topic that makes me create a whole musical world and relate every music parameter to this topic. So this certainly creates unity. So in my composition class, it is necessarily first to plan in one single tabloid page, mm -hmm. the, all the previous musical parameters that I just explained. And all my students have to plan their pieces extremely well and have a good presentation of this tabloid page and have all these parameters in their piece really well established. And that's before writing a single note. And once I consider this page is complete and neatly done with the whole idea well established, then they can start writing the music. They can start writing the piece. So for music analysis, on the other hand, I, it's the same method because I, I think they need to analyze from the general to the particular with all these previous musical parameters. That's it. <laughs> now, what happens if, uh, if someone changes the plan midway? How do you accommodate I mean, I that? Always, I always tell them that even though you have your plan very well established, mm -hmm. sometimes it, something doesn't work in that plan and you keep trying until it works and you have to be really loyal to this plan, as much loyal as you can and if really, if you work all your things from different perspective and you feel that something, because not everything is not going to work, it's maybe something, then you're allowed to change it, of mm -hmm. course. You can change it, but be as loyal as you can. That's my, that's my philosophy. And that's the way I teach them to, to have unity. So the, the other thing with this method is that sometimes if you have this page well established, you're composing while you do that. Yes. And what, that's one of the things when you do it neatly, because I tell them the need, the, uh, by writing this neatly, it's not for me. This presentation is not for me, it's for you. Yeah. It's a plan for you. You're, you're gonna be able to, to put that, that piece of paper in front of you while you're writing, but not only that, you're, you're writing this plan and you're, because I use colors and everything. Once you're, you're coloring and everything, you're writing music in your mind by doing that. And that's a very, in, that's the way it works for me and that's the way I teach it. Uh, and also the thing that you have this plan will give you oh, the chance to not start music from the beginning to the end. You can start with the end and take yes. material from that end. So basically what I said, it doesn't matter. Most of them start in, in the beginning, to be honest, mm -hmm. especially the beginners. So they, they start. And then what I teach is basically the first 20 measures that they got. How do you, can you create or how can you get things from those 20 measures and reorganize it in a way that it doesn't, it sounds like familiar from the beginning, but it's not, not exactly the same. So it's the, the whole transformation of things always. So that's the, that's, I always use this term because I, I learned it in a, in a summer course mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's called the economy of means. Then the, the composer who, who taught me what this was Dan Locklear, an organist composer, a very nice person. How do you write his name? Dan, D-A-N, Locklear, L-O-C-K-L-A-I-R. I have noticed that um, especially beginner composers, they're so full of ideas. They yeah. uh, once, and once they, once they don't really know how to develop an idea, they just throw it, throw in a new one. Exactly, and that's the whole point because you, then you see a a, a whole <laughs> a whole mixing of ideas and and, and no and not a thread. Let's put it that way. Yes, not a thread. But so that's what you need to 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 teach. Like if you have twenty measures, 
stop getting new ideas and get your ideas from what you have. Yeah. They, then everything sounds everything familiar, but it's the not the same, rate. right? Yes. Yeah. It's a very good uh, pedagogical approach. In terms of all the, the parameters that I told you, mm -hmm. I learned it in a very different way through John Rea. Mm -hmm. John Rea taught me to see music from different perspective. And that was really nice because I, I really um, saw the difference of the, the fight, if you want to say, the, 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 the fight between a, a, a pattern that you have Mm -hmm. and how you work that pattern into something. You know what I mean? Like if you have yes. an instrumentation, how do you fight that against with texture, for instance? You know, like if you have different four instruments, how do you create a different texture with that? So it's a pattern uh, and well, material of something and how you do a pattern with that. It's very interesting. And I teach that too. Your Obviously, you you grade it. Uh, it it's a bit more uh, sophisticated for the older, more advanced students. Obviously, <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think. Yeah, I mean, they they also talented. They they get it right away. Really, really, really. So you're a lucky teacher. You have mentioned how talented your students are many times uh, this evening. Yes. Uh, now, uh, this, uh, this podcast has a particular focus on ethics. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there is a question that I ask every guest now mm -hmm. uh, without revealing more than you feel comfortable. Um, what is the most memorable ethical dilemma that you have faced in your career as a composer and or teacher? And did you solve it? And how did you solve it? Mm -hmm. That's a really hard question. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I have never experienced an ethical dilemma as a composer or a teacher that I can remember, that I can okay. recall, honestly. But uh, I do believe that as composers, we can create music that have a positive role for sure in our inclination towards right actions, virtues, and, and duties. And uh, what is doubtful is whether music can make a person morally better or, or, or worse, I think, I don't know. If I think there's a whole mimetic uh, thing in, 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 in music, and if that's true, then probably there has an influence on how people act through music, especially in music with lyrics, I think, like mm -hmm. how they, they imitate uh, rock stars, for instance, and maybe drug users and you know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. it's different. So, but what it's true is that music is an extremely powerful tool. And when I think about that, it's like how I, I feel very motivated and very proud to be a composer because you are creating an extremely powerful tool and you're promoting ethics or not promoting it through your music. So there's a, a lot of responsibility in that. And some people even think that music with or without lyrics uh, delivers uh, uh, more powerful tools to deal with morality than language itself, which yeah. is really nice, right? And well, I think that as musical educators of, or well, as teachers, we have a great responsibility in generating a positive impact to society by developing brains and cognitions in new generations of composers, for sure. 
and well that that's all i can think about ethics but but you're but very privileged to be able to do this and uh, yeah talking uh, talking as a composer now and not as a teacher what is uh, your current composition project i have uh two of them right now i'm i'm a composer in residence of this in uh this festival called the Mizzou International Composers Festival in the States, United States in Missouri, which is a very nice uh, festival held at the end of July. And I'm writing a piece for this amazing ensemble called uh, Alarm Will Sound. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna be for 16 instruments and, and well, I already have the plan and everything. I'm starting writing all my sketches in my, in my tabloid page. Mm -hmm. And it has to be ready by the end of May. And once that is done, it's going to get performed. I'm going to use electronics. And I can tell you a little bit of what the piece is about. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm writing about this piece based on the title of the piece is called Spiraling Down the Rabbit Hole. And it's based on, on Alice in Wonderland, but not really. It means more like the act of of looking in the internet and going from one topic in particular to the same topic yeah. and then again, again, again. And that's basically the term, the term of spiraling down means also. So the way I'm doing this and the way I'm creating this is also through the picture of something that a person that goes into a, a total <laughs> unreal on, on world. So it's a, a kind of, it's a very nice, topic because it gives you the the opportunity to write very abstract music mm -hmm. and and i'm using this this compositional technique called the the temporal semiotic units which mm -hmm. are sound configurations that have uh, a specific meaning of through time so there's short configurations of of sound and there's big configurations of sound and the way I'm using this is trying to create like, like giving a meaning of the whole piece through the different uh, configurations in the piece. And most of them are gonna be uh, well related to, to the fact that this is an unreal world and okay. about the spiraling all the time. So I'm gonna be using um, uh, electronics and the way I'm gonna be using electronics is, do you know what, uh, Misenabim means? No, I don't. It's a type of art. I'm sure you do. It's called, um, I forgot the name in, in English, but it's basically when you have an image and then it's, there's a mirror, this image goes to this image and then this image and this image okay. and, yes. and it goes down, down. I don't know how it's called. Yes, I, I know what it is. I don't know it in English. Either. Well, that's basically what I want to do because since I'm creating, that's the way I wanted to perceive my, my whole thing of going through the internet through that and go through a different stage and then the same thing, but it's a different thing. So the, the way I'm gonna use this is using the recording of certain sections, putting that the recording into the different section, but with music, uh, new music on the top, but mm -hmm. with the, what happened before. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I'm gonna be using that. So I'm using electronics and 16 instruments. After I'm done that, I'm also, I have a commission for a uh, uh, duo called Duo Willinger from the States, from the United States. I was selected for that. And it's gonna be a piece for clarinet and piano. Okay. And it's gonna get performed several times throughout the years. And the first performance, I think it's September maybe. I have to finish that piece in August. 
And then I have another piece for, for after that, I have another piece for um, harp and electronics. For, for uh, actually for a, for a harpist in, that lives in, in Montreal. Alex Tibbetts is her name. Okay. So yeah, I'm pretty busy with that, and I'm happy with all these projects. They're so different. And I hope well, this will give uh, this will give us uh, the opportunity to meet again. Yes. For, for our listeners, um, uh, Paula and I, uh, we are doing this uh, meeting over Zoom, mm -hmm. uh, which has become the defining platform of the COVID nineteen pandemic for so many of us. Yes. Uh, and uh, I wish to uh, I wish to thank Paula very much uh, for all the time and the detailed answers on pedagogy and her career. Paula, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was it was very fun to to do this and explain my whole process as a teacher and composer. Thank you very much for uh, this you, opportunity. You have been the first uh, Mexican guest. Nice on uh, on this podcast. Uh, Hopefully so, not the last. Hey, well, I, I, I also hope not the last because after all the, the praises that you sang for the young generation, uh, maybe we'll, uh, we'll get to hear, uh, we'll get to hear them uh, in the uh, months and years to come. Yes. So I, uh, I wish you a wonderful, uh, wonderful continuation. Thank you And very uh, much. thank you very much for participating. Thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. And thank you all, dear listeners, for staying with us for this hour-long interview. I look forward to uh, having you again next time. Have a nice day. Bye-bye.